0: Yeah, yeah, the where he uh where he got the the kids to yeah. like, with shirts. Yeah, that yeah. was that was awesome. That's uh you know, I, I love seeing stuff like that, especially um the you know, the CFL means kinda all the marketing it it can get at this point and seeing things like that, you know, it just Willie Jefferson's really good for the league.
1: <laughs> the Country One oh seven morning show with Dave Anthony. Join now with a man that knows a thing or two about winning football games, John Rush, former Blue Bomber and Grey Cup champ. John, uh, you know, winning is always satisfying, but is beating Saskatchewan as a Blue Bomber just a little bit more satisfying? Yes.
0: The, the short answer, yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's, it's funny because like, I'm, I'm not even from Winnipeg. I grew up in Niagara Falls. I went to the University of Guelph. But when you get out here, and you know you're in the community and you're playing for the team, you just you just you don't like Saskatchewan. You just don't. It's like it just comes with the territory, I guess. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it just it just comes. You just end up not liking them. So yeah. So when you when you beat them, it, it's your, you're just it's that extra. It's kind of like the gravy on top. It's like yeah, a win's a win. You know, wins are always good. But when you beat Saskatchewan, it's like. It's that extra, it's that extra sweet win,
1: John. Uh, you know, if you keep going the way you have each and every week, people are going to really figure out you know what you're talking about because you had a <laughs> you had a strategy that the bombers needed to be successful, and I thought they executed it to a T. It was a low event first half, and then they kind of took over with the running game in the second. What was your impression of the overall Blue Bombers uh, coming into that or coming out now of that Labor Day game?
0: You know what, it the bombers. They, they're just so, you know, I talk about it all the time, and they're just, it just really goes to show you the importance of having, uh, you know, a good organization and a good coaching staff that know how to, how to win. You know what I mean? Like, they prepare so well, like, week in and week out for their opponents. And, you know, obviously, you know, you're not always going to come out on top. But you know, as an organization, they do so well of preparing the players to put them in the best possible position to win those games and it and it shows you know you know what i mean it it shows every week that they they came in and they they took care of business they 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 did all the things they needed to do and and you know that defense is oh my God, that defense is good.
1: Oh yeah, we're going to get into the defense in a little bit. Last week, we talked about drop balls and that how that was an issue and how that can kind of deflate a team. When when the receivers make circus catches, and I'm thinking like the Drew Olatarsky catch, you know, does that just have the opposite effect? Does that just bring the bench up to a point where they believe they can do anything? And more more importantly, the quarterback believes he can put the ball anywhere and his receivers can go get it.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's It's kind of it's kind of interesting to see uh, that happen because usually when it, when you know it happens once it happens again, um you know the old saying goes lightning doesn't strike twice, but it usually does for those kinds of catches and uh you know like you know we saw welltarski's catch and then we saw uh, Dempsey's catch right after and it might not have been the craziest circus catch, but being someone that's been in that position, that was a very good touchdown catch <laughs> like um so it's It just elevates the rest of the players, you know, when you see, when Wallace Harski sees that, you know, Dembski gets fired up, you know what I mean? And it, and it kind of puts you more in a zone. But what it also does is it deflates their defense. You know, when, when you do everything in your power, when you're, when you are in the exact right position, uh, and I've been in those defensive meetings sometimes and you did your job 100% correct. And then the receiver just goes and makes an insane catch, and in the meeting the next day, the, the only thing the coach can say is, "Well, they're getting paid too." So, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know, like it, it's demoralizing as a defender. You're just like, man, I did everything right, and he still caught the ball. Like that sucks. And it, and you know, and and it's good for the offense, right? It it hypes everyone on the offense up, and it deflates their defense. You no, know, you, you can't ask for anything more than that.
1: No, and uh, you can't really ask for, for more than what the Bombers gave on that, especially on the road in a hostile environment. You, you, you set out examples of how to keep the crowd quiet, and even when they started getting going a little bit, the Bombers did something to keep them quiet. You had to, watching on TV, you had to feel that kind of energy where, yes, the Bombers have a very successful game plan, but more important, they're executing it.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Like, it, you know, it, it's 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 easy, you know, like I say every week, it's easy for me to sit here and say, you know, these are the things you need to do, but it's a whole other thing to kind of go in and do it, right? And that kind of, uh, it kind of speaks to the, um, you know, again, to the organization and the ability to, for them to keep such a core group of guys together. You know, we talk about it a lot, how, you know, the defensive front seven and the offensive front seven uh, is essentially the exact same as the Gray Cubs. Uh, team right so it it when you have a bunch of you know veterans like that in place to implement a plan and to trust them to be able to go do it it's so much easier than if you're you know if you're still kind of trying to teach like younger guys and rookies and things like that you know the fundamentals of the game and and then trying to you know teach them to be calm on top of that right so it's uh you know it they did such a good job of keeping a core group of guys around. Uh, you know, implementing these game plans and trusting them to be able to do it is so much easier for them.
1: Talking with John Rush here as we get ready for another game between the Rough Riders and the Bombers. I have some generic football questions I want to get to because I was kind of texting you uh, at, towards the end of that game. And uh, Before we get into that, is there a Bomber that maybe stuck out for you that's not getting the love that they deserve? Who is your unsung Winnipeg Blue Bomber hero this week?
0: <laughs> you know what? Um, it's I, I, you know, I love Willie and I love his energy. But I, I can't say Willie's the unsung hero because he gets so much love. Right? <laughs> he's, he's probably one of the most loved bombers. But yeah, I do, I do love Willie a lot. Um, I, I, I gotta say, it's probably Drew Woltarski. Uh A lot of things. A lot of, um, you know, obviously like that circus catch he had was unreal. But like, what a lot of a lot of people don't see is uh, and I was around Drew for four years, and and he's a really good guy, and and he's a he's he's a hard worker, and and he puts in the work that other people don't, and th- like things like blocking downfield to help open up receivers, uh, to, you know get those extra yards for his like the receivers that are catching the ball. He's blocking downfield for the running backs. Like he's one of the hardest working dudes, and it's like the small things, like Drew, like doesn't take plays off. Uh, and things like that. So you know, a lot of the times, it's it's always interesting because you know, a lot of the times, like if Andrew has like a huge run and he's like op- running down the open field, a lot of people don't notice that the receivers are blocking on the outside to make sure that the op- like the middle of the field is wide open for Andrew. And that's a huge, like, that's a huge thing that a lot of people don't understand plays an extremely important factor in it. If if you have like a Sam linebacker or a halfback that's that's you know only 10 feet from the box or 10 yards from the box if you're if the receiver doesn't block him properly you know instead of Andrew having a 50 yard run he's going to have like an 8 to 12 yard run that makes a huge difference you know what I mean and an 8 to 12 yard run is still a good run but a 50 yard run is significantly better and and that's something Drew does literally every play is even if the ball is not coming to him uh, he's always in the place. He's always doing the right thing. He knows the playbook inside and out. Uh, it's the little things that no one else would ever notice, like blocking downfield. Uh, unless you were actually looking for it, and yeah, he's definitely you know he's definitely one of the un- unsung heroes. I think.
1: Yeah, and to do it without taking penalties too, because we're going to get into the penalty discussion a little bit later on. But you talk about demoralizing big plays, yes, but penalties got to be demoralizing too. One more thing about Willie Jefferson: uh, How cool was it when he was interacting with those rider fans uh, towards the end of the game? Did you get a chance to see that?
0: Yeah, yeah, the, where he uh, where he got the the kids to yeah like with shirts yeah that yeah. was that, that was awesome that's uh you know I, I love seeing stuff like that especially um the you know the CFL needs kind of all the marketing it, it can get at this point and seeing things like that you know it's just Willie Jefferson's really good for the league yeah. <laughs> he's he's you know he's good for the league he's 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 a good guy you know I loved playing with Willie he he always helped me out whenever I needed it and um you know seeing things like that it just it, it brings a smile to my face because you know we we need we need more of that in this league um because you know and 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 for those kids too like i remember i grew up i grew up going to like, that that terrible Ivor Wynn stadium, but those were some of the best memories I ever had with going to those that those Ivor win stadiums I thought c f l players were heroes, you know what I mean i thought they, it was the coolest thing ever uh watching c f l players so you know Willie just gave those kids. Uh, a memory that they're gonna have for a lifetime. So you know, even even if it wasn't good marketing, or even if it wasn't you know just a you know a, a cool thing to do, like he just gave those kids a, and their parents like a really cool story that they're gonna hold on to for a while. So seeing things like that, you know, it just it really puts a smile on your face.
1: And a guy, as as from the view of a guy on the content side, I'm thinking like in 15, 16 years, or or however old this kid is, he's gonna show off that glove when he's on, on the CFL on TSN, you know, and he's going to say, you know, this is the moment that I thought I wanted to be a CFL player, and I wore number five, just like Willie. I don't know, I just, yeah. from the content side, it's just like that's the kind of impact CFL players have because they are so, you know, in tune with the fans. They're right there, and they're, like you said, engaging personalities.
0: Yeah, no, exactly right. So, uh, you know, you, you love to see it. You love to see that kind of stuff. I, I can't, I, I, I wish there was more of that.
1: Absolutely. Uh, John, I, I actually texted you some notes because I, I didn't want to forget about this because I, I thought it was so interesting. It, it seemed like what, part of the bomber strategy was to hit Fajardo hard. Not just hit him and put him down, but hit him hard. There were some really hard quarterback hits. What kind of wear and tear does that put on a quarterback's body getting hit like that through a game like this?
0: You know what? And and I've never played with Fajardo. I, I played against him a couple of times. Uh, he seems like, seems like a great guy, you know, he seems, he got like a great personality and the guy's a, the guy's a warrior. There's no doubt about it, but you know, there's no, there's, there's no question that those, those hits start to take a toll. (laughs) Like (laughs) like, Fajardo, you know, I played against him in that, uh, in the, uh, the Western finals last year and he had like a broken rib. Um and like some some someone was going on it with his shoulder I think the, guy, the guy's a warrior you know he' is a, the guy's an animal, no question about it, but at a certain point those those hits start to hurt <laughs> yeah. no no one's invincible you know what i mean the, like those those hits hurt i've i've been on the receiving end of those hits, and they're they hurt and and the thing is, and this is something that not a lot of uh, people take into account, and you know, like everyone loves the sacks. You know, every, like everyone wants sacks because you know good stats. You know, if you have three sacks in a game, you're a hero. You're amazing and everything like that. But there's something that's not really often talked about within the media, and this is why I always say, like stats. You know, stats are only one part of the equation because they don't lie. So you know, you could go you could go an entire game with having zero sacks, but if you're laying those hits on the quarterback he's getting that ball out even if it's like a fraction of a second sooner now because he doesn't want to take that hit anymore. That's throwing off his throwing mechanics. It's throwing off the timing of the route. It's throwing off, you know, where the receiver's supposed to be catching the ball. It's it's this trickle effect that's affecting so many more things because the quarterback's now thinking about taking that shot and taking that hit, right? So, yeah, so... You know, like maybe you know you're not getting that sack, but if you laid five hard hits on Trujardo, those balls aren't getting there in the right spot anymore, and that's a that's a huge that's a huge benefit for the def, like the defense, right? So, so you know that's why you know that's why I always I'm not a big stats guy because they they it's so it's such a you know it's one part of a an equation of a hundred different factors. So yeah, it's. Taking those hits, you know, I I, got, I can't imagine that he, it wasn't in his head, and he wasn't thinking about it by the fourth quarter, being like, man, I do not want to take another hit.
1: Well, yeah, he threw up some uh, some dying quails there a few times that were just begging to be picked off, and I thought, uh, yeah, a lot of that has to do with the Bombers' presence on defense, but a lot of it also has to do with the defensive scheme. And now, John, we see football very differently. You as a player, me as a coach, coach, uh, I yelled at Buck Pierce through my TV a couple of times in that first half. I was wondering what he was doing, but he kind of set it up perfectly. And I want to get into the, the offensive and defensive coordinators. I don't know if they get as much love and respect as they should for making in-game adjustments the way I thought the Bombers did on both sides of the ball on Sunday. Uh, what, what do you think about the coordinators and what they were able to do? You know, maybe not only just that game, but overall what they do for a team.
0: Yeah, no, it's actually, it's actually really interesting. Um... Because, like, the two people that always get blamed first is the quarterback and then the, the coordinator, right? And, uh, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of always interesting to see because, you know, like, no one really knows that there's, you know, the, the, the coordinator can have the perfect team, but if the players don't go out and execute it, then it, you know, it doesn't really matter that much, right? It's, um, so there's, there's a lot more to the equations. and, and, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head is, a lot of it also has to do with halftime adjustments. You know, you can scheme for a team all week. Like, for example, we know Saskatchewan loves to, you know, have a fullback on the, on the field. They, you know, they're, they're the, one of the most fullback heavy um, offenses in the league and things like that. But if they come out and decide that this game, they're not going to do that, but we prepped all week for them having a fullback 50% of the time, you know, you have to make those adjustments on the fly. It, it ha- you know, you have to, you have to be able to change your game plan. Um, and it kind of, it kind of goes back to the players too. The the coordinators need to know that they can trust the players to be able to do that. Uh, and it, and it's a huge, it's a huge kind of give and take between the coordinator and the players. Right. So, you know, it, both teams are game planning for each other. So you can game plan as much as you want, but when, you know, when live bullets are flying, it's, the completely different story. So those coordinators um, are, you know, constantly making adjustments. But it's interesting because they're also constantly setting things up and trying to play games with the other coordinators <laughs> during the game. You know, I know we ran, I, you know, on offense a lot when I was playing. We would run, like, a lot of outside zone. And even if it wasn't working, like, we were getting, like, two, three yards and stuff like that. In one game, it was all to set up uh, a reverse we were we were we were doing. So I think in the first half we ran like eight outside zones, and everyone like I remember seeing it on Twitter after like everyone was freaking out about us running outside zone outside zone, and then we did a reverse and we got like a fifty yard gain. <laughs> and it's like there's so much more to it than just kind of like what meets the eye. It's the football at its essence is basically a game of strategy. If you break it down, it's like, yeah, you still have to play the game and and, you know, be athletic and things like that. But for the coordinators, it's kinda like chess. That's that's kinda the best way to describe it. And and you're right, they don't really get the credit they deserve because not many people think about football in that sense as a game of trust or a game of strategy. They just kinda see, oh why are you running outside zone? That's stupid. It's like, well, there's a strategy behind this. There's, you know, there's a method behind the madness, right?
1: Absolutely, man. And you know, you can game plan all you want. Coaches for days pour over stuff and are putting strategies together and piecing the game together in their head and how things could go. And it can all get derailed so easily by a simple yellow flag that gets tossed out. and And I'm sure as a football player. It's got to be frustrating to see that flag come out at any time, but especially after a big play. Can penalty flags divide a bench, John? Like, can it turn the offense against the defense a little bit, or how do your how does how do teams deal with taking penalties? It's part of the game, but how do teams deal with it?
0: You know what? That's that's actually a great question, and uh, it's something that's a, an enormous focus for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. In the, the entire time I played for Winnipeg. We were the least penalized team in the league every single year. And it's because we put such an emphasis on penalties. And, you know, we, we, you know, after every single game, we would sit down as a whole team and break down every single penalty. And, you know, football is a high speed, high collision. It's a very fast sport and things happen. You know, penalties are going to happen. It's impossible for them not to happen. Right. That being said, if you can eliminate the majority of penalties, you're going to be significantly better off. And a, a lot of penalties can be eliminated because a lot of penalties are selfish in nature. Basically, you know, like any unnecessary roughness penalties, you know, if you're, especially after the play penalties, where if you say something to another player and get a penalty, all of those penalties are so easily avoidable and so unnecessary that 100% it will divide a bench. And especially a bench like Winnipeg, where they put such an emphasis on that. And, you know, it. I keep crediting the organization. And the the organization does such a good job of, of bringing in guys that are not just good football players, but actually good people. And, you know, kind of understand that and understand – what we're trying to accomplish as a team and that want to play for their brothers. So it's not, it's it's easier in that sense. And, and having, you know, having that guys on the team as well is huge because obviously the sports, like the game is very different than American football, NFL football. So, you know, if you have it, a lot of these, you know, young Americans coming up, trying to learn the game, They're going to take more penalties because it's a different game down there, right? So it can very easily divide a bench, especially if you're taking, you know, simple, easily avoidable penalties that are, that are quite frankly just selfish. You know, if you, if you can't put your ego aside for the betterment of your team, if you take a 15 yard, you know, if it's second down, you stop them. And then after the play you take a fifteen yard penalty because some guy was chirping you and you, you kind of push him or chirp him back. And now they're in field goal range and they get they get a field goal out of it. You're putting your ego above the team and that's that's simply unacceptable, right? So that's that's kind of where it comes in where we put such an emphasis on that because we understand that a simple fifteen yard penalty can lead to points for the other team. And those three points can literally be the difference between you winning the game or losing the game. So, uh, you know, Winnipeg does a crazy good job of, you know, dealing with penalties.
1: Yeah, that's a great way of breaking it down, especially for us that that are not on that bench or in that room after. And, you know, it's kind of reassuring because you never, as a fan, you never are sure of what's going on. But to hear like the Bombers would get together as a team And dissect things because sometimes you would think football is you know the offense is on one side defense is another and they don't really merge but bombers seem like a pretty cohesive team and again i I know you don't we don't want to just keep pumping the bombers tires here for from an organizational standpoint but uh it seems like they do the little things like that right and that leads to success
0: no exactly right yeah that's and you know it kind of it has that trickle down if 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 the, you're doing the right things from the top, then it's going to trickle down to kind of everybody else, and, and that's why it's such a you know, well-oiled machine.
1: We could probably say, uh, going into the Banjo Bowl, Winnipeg needs to do the opposite of what they did, uh, perhaps to the Rider fans, and that's try and keep the crowd into the game. Uh, you know, as, uh, as the home side now, John, what's the mentality like? How do you get the fans into it without changing your game plan or taking yourself out of what you know you need to do to be successful?
0: You know what it it's not that difficult with Winnipeg. The fans here are so good that it's very easy to kind of they you, they just start the game fired up. You know what I mean? So, uh you don't really have to do too much to get Winnipeg fans uh you know involved and kind of uh hyped up for the game. Uh that being said, uh you know you want to keep them fired up because it it's just like Home field advantage is one hundred percent a thing it's there's no no doubt about it that home field advantage is a is an actual thing um, you know teams have to game plan for how loud our fans are you know they're they're taking time out of their practice time to practice you know um, silent counts and how to you know how to prepare. For how loud our fans are, so they're spending less time game planning for us because of how loud our fans are. You know what I mean? So to to get them in involved, you know, I don't think it'll be very difficult. They kind of just they kind of just get there themselves. But to keep them involved, you you kind of just got to do all the things you know they've been doing. You know, it's kind of it's kind of the same game plan that going into um, you know going into Saskatchewan. It's it's very similar, the you know having you know Andrew Harris rip off big runs, the fans love that. <laughs> the, the fans love to see it. You know having the defense you know get interception, big hits on the quarterback. You know uh, it, you know fumbles and things like that. You know those are all amazing. You know all amazing things that they love to see. Special teams definitely will play a big factor. Uh, you know big returns always. Always gets the fans fired up, and we love to see it. You know, you can you can feel. I've been on that. I've been on that field several times when we returned a punt or a kick kick off or a touchdown, and it's like you can literally feel like the stadium shaking when you're on that field. So you know, when things like that happen, it really gets the like. Even you know, even if even if we get a twenty thirty yard return. You know, it might not be a touchdown, but it puts the offense in better field position, and then all of a sudden the fans are fired up, uh, and and you know that's what that's what you want, right? That's what you want to keep them in it. So the the game plan, really, realistically, you know, everything that Saskatchewan hates is everything Winnipeg. So there should, <laughs> there, it really shouldn't be too much different.
1: No, and I'm really looking forward to next week. I want to talk about kick returns. Uh, We'll do that next week as uh, we've gone on for a little while here. And before we let you go and before we get a prediction, uh, of course, we've got to talk a little bit about potentially a a vegan meal idea. And I saw some some tweets from you today, a little upset that one woman who claimed to be vegan still eats fish and wears leather. And uh, I got a kick out of that, that it rattled your cage pretty good. Uh Saturday, three o'clock. What is the vegan meal suggestion from John Rush?
0: You know, i I'm, I think I'm going with uh uh it's La Burger Week in Winnipeg, right? So uh I think it's it's nearing the end of the season for summer. It's starting to get a little bit cooler out. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that right now, <laughs> but uh you know, it's it's the unfortunate reality of living in Winnipeg sometimes is uh it gets cooler a little bit uh sooner here. So I, I'm thinking, you know, one last. If you're not, if, you know, if you're not going to the game, uh, you know, getting in, a, getting in a nice barbecue, celebrating the Burger Week. I love the, uh, I love the Beyond Meat burgers and the Impossible burgers that you can get at any grocery store now, and you know, firing them up on the grill for, for you know, one last, one last hurrah uh, for the summer season.
1: That's awesome. We do have uh, Burger Day starting up in Steinbach as well, so if you didn't get enough of it uh, last week, you can always uh, make your way out to Steinbach and get some get some good food. Uh, all right, Perfect. let's hit up Doggy Diaries here, buddy, because uh, it looks like Benum's just about ready for Halloween with that creepy photo that you uh, put out on Twitter at John Rush Thirty Two. Uh, what have your dogs been up to besides just lounging around and uh, you know living the doggy life?
0: <laughs> you know. What? It's, it's it's funny uh as i started i just started working from home a couple weeks ago um and everyone's like oh man the dogs are going to be so happy that you're home you know 24 7 now they're going to be you know they're going to just like hang out with you all day and it it bone just sleeps he, everyone like everyone was always worried when i used to go to work for eight hours a day kind of thing um and then I was just like, no, I think I think he's fine. Like he just kinda hangs out. Uh and yeah, no, Bone it you literally wouldn't know that I work from home because Bone just sleeps twenty four seven and Bailey uh just likes to be outside. So she like right now she's sleeping on my hot tub cover. So they you they're they're just kinda hanging out and I, i'm a little bit jealous i'm not gonna lie
1: <laughs> okay before we get your permit uh prediction for the banjo bowl uh can you explain this super follower thing that you've got going on uh, i know that it's gotten some attention but what is what is with this super follower thing john
0: yeah <laughs> it's actually it's it's funny because twitter did like not a great job of explaining it so like it just kind of came out with and everyone's like super confused. Uh, It's just a way for, it's not really available to Canadian content creators yet, but uh, if you're an American content creator, you can, um, people can super follow you for a price. And then if they super follow you, you can make specific content for your super followers. So (laughs) like, so like if if that was me, I could, you know, release, Specific recipes only for my super followers, uh, and they can follow you for. I think it's four ninety nine a month. Uh, so one of one of my friends is a, uh, a content creator in America, and uh, I wanted to support him, and so I, I you know I super follow him and his dogs, and it's it's uh, it's it, 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 it's interesting because the way the world's going, and uh, especially for journalists and things like that, it they can amass huge followings on Twitter. Uh, but you know, most people don't follow them on, on Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. Cause they just want the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, as we kind of know, newspapers and magazines are kind of dying out a little bit. So it's, it's a way that content creators and, and especially journalists and reporters and things like that can actually build a steady income and, you know, make a living. And because, you know, as we both know that that's the gig economy now is it's, just you know especially for reporters and and journalists it's just becoming more of a gig economy so it's it's an interesting concept a lot of some people love it some people hate it and some people are just very confused (laughs) well i I, if it's
1: working in the states i'm sure it eventually will come up to canada again you can follow him on twitter at john rush 32 and you can hear uh, a great podcast that you did with uh with your buddy simon hill uh, at plant underscore proof about uh, how to be a vegan and a pro athlete. Check it out. That's on John Rush's Twitter. You can also follow him on Instagram at John Rush Five. Uh, Banjo Bowl Saturday three o'clock. Who do you like in that game? I I think I know who you like, but what do you think the score is going to end up being?
0: <laughs> you know what? I I think I've only predicted one wrong so far, um. I and so I like my odds of continuing to choose the the Blue Bombers as uh as my go to uh you know especially especially at home you know i i i'm sitting here i'm sitting here drinking out of my uh my gray cup champion coffee mug and on it is the uh, uh the schedule or the uh you know the schedule for the 2019 year and it shows all the the home wins and home losses and we did pretty good at home that year <laughs> we only lost one game so uh i i'm going to say that we're going to you know winnipeg's going to win uh, it's going to be a, a defensive battle for sure. Uh, obviously, with you know, I, I saw a stat the other day that said Winnipeg's defense has um has led up the least amount of points in the CFL, yep. which is crazy because they've basically played an extra game almost on, uh, on every other team. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the defense is pretty good. <laughs> uh, but that being said, I think. You know, I think Saskatchewan will probably make some adjustments here. Um, you know, especially with uh, Fajardo. I, I bet you they bring back a lot more fullback play to to, you know, make sure the, the hits don't happen as much on Fajardo to give him a little extra time there. Um, you know, bring in, maybe bring in an extra O lineman as well. Yep. I bet you it'll be a I bet you it'll be a, a pretty low scoring game. I can't imagine this will be a high scoring game. I bet you it's gonna be I wanna say twenty three. For Winnipeg, and eleven for for Saskatchewan. That's my prediction this week. Twenty-three to eleven.
1: I love it. Uh, we'll wrap up with. Did you end up finding box seats, or are you going to have to enjoy the game from home?
0: I haven't found box seats yet. No, um, unfortunately. But you know what? There's still. What is it? It's Wednesday. There's still. It's still a couple days. Yeah, I'm still. I'm holding my breath here. Uh, last-minute Hail Mary miracle. Maybe. We'll see what happens.
1: (laughs) John, thanks so much for doing this, buddy, and uh, I'll look to catch up again next week. Thanks again.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I always appreciate it.
1: The Country 107 Morning Show with Dave Anthony. Weekday mornings only on Country 107.